It is Locked on NBA. Ben Golliver stops by to join us. We'll talk about all things NBA, free agency, rule changes, Adam Silver, all sorts of fun things of that sort. Quick look at last night's games as well. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on NBA. I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, host of Locked on Jazz, and Thursday host of Locked on NBA. Ben Golliver is our guest today. We held the conversation yesterday afternoon in a hotel, or I was in a hotel with crappy internet, so there's definitely some cutouts. I tried to edit it the best I can, so just stick with it if it kind of feels funky for a minute or two. Uh, That is the reason. Thanks for hanging with us. Um, on that, uh, looking over last night's ball games for you and the things taking place there, uh, not a lot of surprises. Washington did beat Orlando 100 to 90 last night. Uh, Beal had 23 in that. Thomas Bryant continued to play well. Orlando just cannot consistently, uh, prove that they are ready, uh, to have any major growth. I mean, I guess they're a playoff team because it's the Eastern Conference, as crazy as that is possibly. They're now two games, though, back from Miami, so that was a big loss for them uh, last night, needing to get that one in the Eastern Conference playoff race. Pa- uh, Philip Rossman Reich over at Lockdown Magic will not be happy. Oklahoma City had a great second half, came back to beat Brooklyn 108-96. to The Nets uh, are still four and a half games up despite uh, some of their struggles as of late. The big story is Detroit, who was so brilliant for so long, suddenly has been blown out twice in a row. Miami beat them 108-74. They've scored in the 70s in back-to-back games. Uh, they're sitting in the seventh seed right now. In the game of the night, Golden State over Houston, 106-104. to Another statement by the Warriors. They do it without Kevin Durant. DeMarcus Cousins was brilliant, 27 points, 8 rebounds, 7 assists last night. He was plus 7. He's been negative. We talk about that. Uh, and I actually asked at the last question of this upcoming interview with Ben Golliver, what are they going to do about DeMarcus? And the answer is nothing if he plays like that. Uh, ben didn't seem too concerned. Harden had 29 from a positive standpoint, and I'm sure Ben DeBose over at Lockdown Rockets will have this, the Rockets took their 41 threes and only made 11 and only lost by two. Uh, so 27% three-point shooting for the Rockets. Harden goes two of 12. Now, the other side, and P.J. Tucker goes one of seven. The other side is that's obviously what happened in Game 7. Last year, both teams were pretty good offensively in that game. The offensive ratings were hovering around 115, so they both were kind of at their average. Really good basketball game uh, last night between the Rockets and the Warriors. Exactly what should be probably the Western Conference preview. All right, that's a quick check of all the things that are taking place uh, around the NBA quickly. And uh, let me tell you, with the March Madness taking place and the fun that all exists with that, there is an opportunity for you to get in on the action and be a part of it with my bookie. That's right, with my bookie. Here's the deal. The first week of the NCAA tournament is the best betting event of the year, and whether you like filling out a bracket or picking out a national champion, predicting first-round upsets or all, the above my bookie is the perfect home for your March Madness fun. Zion Williamson's teammates cement their legacy at Duke in Virginia. Avoid the big upset. If you know the answers, or even if you don't, my bookie is the place to get in on the action. They have something for everyone, even you, multiple bracket guy. My bookie is in business for years. The goal is to give you the best customer service in the business and part of uh, payout fast when you win. But deposit with my bookie today using the promo code locked on NBA for a 50% sign up bonus. That's promo code locked on NBA with my bookie. You play, you win, you get paid. Here's Ben Golliver. Joined by Ben Golliver for Locked On NBA 
on this Thursday. Note to listeners, we are recording it uh, on Wednesday, so therefore we have no recency bias to the games that took place last, the six games that took place last night, namely that Golden State-Houston game, will uh, not impact our recency bias, though we will hold a conversation in that regard. Ben, how are you? I'm great, man. How's it going? I'm good. I'm a little upset with you. Uh-oh. See, you on your podcast with Andrew Sharp often start with your little zinger, your little fun. Well, so, like, in town and not going to even say hi? Don't even get me started on that trip, okay? I was there for like 24 hours flat. Uh, I was up at, I believe, 5.30 in the morning to try to get into this conference where uh, Adam Silver was speaking briefly. My whole trip was uh, organized around trying to preserve the the sanctity of the 10 minutes I was going to get with the commissioner. It wound up coming off uh, just fine, but it was a, a real nightmare. So I apologize to you. There was no game in town. Were you even in town or were you on the road? I might have been on the road, but you could have at least okay, checked. Okay, okay, okay. I'm calling you right back out then. Where were you? You chose the Jazz over me. Is that what happened? I did. I think we were in New Orleans, if I remember correctly. <laughs> uh, yes, you you went okay, to the whole... Okay. The truth comes out. So you went to the whole Qualtrics event to be able to get 10 minutes with Adam Silver. What was it that you wanted 10 minutes with Adam Silver that was so important? Well, I was just trying to pick his brain, mostly on the age limit thing. Uh, it didn't sound like there had been a ton of movement on that. He's still seeing uh, you know, everything on course for that 2022 draft. Uh, obviously, it was a big deal with the Zion injury and you know, the, the kind of the reports that came up after that, which were sort of suggesting that the ball was in the union's court. You know, Adam Silver didn't want to paint it that way. He was basically just saying, look, they're, they're ongoing conversations. Uh, one of the hangups is medical information of the teenage players. Are they going to be willing to give that up to teams that are interested in drafting them, uh, you know, like straight out of high school? Because the NBA teams basically have a firm position that says we need that information if we're going to make educated decisions. And, you know, there does seem like that's a pretty reasonable stance to take. I think if you're going to be investing millions of dollars in a high draft pick in a player, uh, you would want that information. So that seems like, you know, haggling over that seems like the major hangup. But otherwise, it does seem like they're pretty confident it will happen in in 2022 we also got into some really other interesting conversations though i mean uh it's clear his a lot of his focus on the business side is keeping uh fans as engaged as possible during the viewing experience so you might remember they changed some of the uh timeout rules in recent years to kind of smooth things out for television viewers trying to keep people tuned in for uh you know for longer time periods he also was really frank saying look We've got a problem with fans just being on their phone at the games, right? We've got to keep our product as entertaining as possible because so, we're competing with Instagram and YouTube and all the apps that are on fans' phones, you know, basically 24-7, 365. And it's clear that uh, he views their two-and-a-half-hour-long game window uh, as being, you know, a, a real challenge, you know, trying to keep people invested throughout that when so much of the other technology and competing entertainment products are, are much shorter than that. So, uh, he was touching on a lot of different topics you know, in his speech and then also in our conversation, but uh, that's a little taste of it. Do you, do you think that's his number one thing he's looking at right now? Is that two-and-a-half-hour game window? Or do you think he has other things that he'd really like to get done? Well, I think he's looking at a lot of different things, but I tried to you know, present to him some of the criticism from Charles Barkley and other people saying, look, like, are you guys headed for a lockout here? Do you think that there could be some labor unrest because of these players 
you know, flexing their muscles, whether it's Anthony Davis or Jimmy Butler or Kawhi Leonard. I mean, those are some big name players uh, who have put their teams kind of behind the eight ball in various ways here over the last year. And he was like flat out. He's like, look, I mean, I understand we have some internal issues and we're working through those trade requests. But the far bigger challenge for the NBA, Adam Silver said, uh, was the external competition. You know, it's trying to keep up with Netflix and all the streaming video and all the other uh, things that are out there in a very competitive marketplace. And he was pretty frank with me. He's like, look, we used to sell the, the NBA League Pass product where you get every single game for the year. And we basically heard back from fans that that's kind of a wasteful uh, presentation because even a diehard fan might not watch more than 150 games in a year. So why do they need a thousand games? And, and he's saying, look, we tried to sell it by a team package. We tried to sell it by just a nightly package. Now they're doing these micro payments where you can get down and, and buy as little as one quarter of a game, uh, which kind of shows you, uh, again, Adam Silver's bigger point, which is like people aren't trying to plan their whole lives around the NBA. Uh, you know, the casual fans aren't, but they might want to tune in to that big moment where James Harden's going for 50 points or, you know, the Utah Jazz and uh, Oklahoma City Thunder are in a tense fourth quarter, you know, right down to the buzzer. And he wants to make sure fans are able to hop in when they're interested and sort of on that spur of the moment. And he thinks the NBA's got some work to do in terms of being able to appeal to fans in that way, both from a price perspective and sort of an, an ease of use technology perspective. But he was really adamant. These are the kinds of issues that are dominating his long-term view of you know the health of his league, as opposed to some of the other issues that we spend a lot more time talking about, you know, which would be you know, Anthony Davis's forced to trade or, or tries to force a trade or Kawhi Leonard shuts it down for multiple months. He thinks that ultimately the, the health of the league is going to be uh, based on how it can compete with everybody else, uh, you know, inside and outside of other sports, uh, rather than, okay, you know, all the politicking that we spend our time talking about. It's interesting. I mean, my 14-year-old daughter is a huge fan. I don't know the last time she watched a game. Right. And she's watching highlights on Twitter, though, I bet, right? And yeah, she's, she's probably a- listening to the clips that you send her and, she probably follows all the players on Instagram, but is she being monetized by the league? I think that's the question. And, and for Silver, he's noticing all these fans who are under 30 who basically have never subscribed to cable, and he doesn't really see them being likely cable subscribers you know, for NBA content because you know, they can get the highlights on Twitter for free. Uh, they can listen to podcasts for free. They can experience the league in these other sort of newfangled ways that maybe didn't exist 10 years ago. And unfortunately, the problem for the league's bottom line is uh, these customers are enjoying the league a lot, but they're not paying for it. The uh, Let's hope my daughter doesn't listen to this because she'll point out that you assume that she have Instagram and her, you know, overly protective father is keeping her off social networks. So that will oh. be that'll be a problem for me. Thanks, Ben. I appreciate that, though. That's really that's good. Thanks. That'll help me out. A great deal. Uh, one thing that's <laughs> one thing that's interesting is the NFL right now is doing all their free agent moves right right now, and then they have the draft. The NBA has the draft and then has free agency. Do you have any thought which you think is the better angle on this? I haven't spent a ton of time on it, but I, I tend to like the current system just because I feel like when we're talking about foundational players – uh, we're usually talking about the draft, right? And so it seems to me that if you were a bad team and, and the draft is going to be a larger part of your overall framework, you would want to know which foundational player you were getting 
before you went into free agency and tried to build around it. And I don't necessarily think that we want to build the whole system around what's the easiest way for really, really bad teams or terrible teams to sort of make themselves into more competitive uh, long-term organizations. But I do think if I was holding, you know, the rights to a top three pick this year, like if I was the Knicks or the Suns or, or the Cavaliers or whoever else, I would really want to know whether I was going to have Zion or not before I spent all my money in free agency. How about you? Yeah, you know what? I wonder if you – what happens if you did the – I like where you are. I'm wondering if you do the lottery first, then you do free agency, then you do the draft. And Yeah, I th- that would work for the number one pick, but we get the uncertainty pretty quickly after that, right? right. Like even look at last year's draft, how confident were those teams? Like obviously there was the trade in the top five. What was Sacramento going to do? Uh, I mean, I feel like there's still some guessing that goes on. I mean, you're, you're more certain than not, probably, especially if you're really plugged in as a team. But uh, I don't know. I'd still, if I was a top five team in that scenario, I'd still want to rather have my player in-house, knowing that he was mine, knowing that we weren't going to make any other trades before I proceeded with my other business. Speaking of that trade, we'll ask Ben Golliver in just a moment. Who he thinks won that trade between Atlanta and Dallas? It was a no-brainer earlier this year. Is it still? We'll find out. We continue on Locked on NBA with the Washington Post. Ben Golliver here on Locked on NBA. So who won the Trey Young uh, and a draft pick, in theory, uh, for Luka Doncic and giving up a draft pick trade? I still think Dallas won uh, because I think not only did that trade give them a franchise level player, but it also facilitated them, put them into a situation where they could make that Porzingis trade. If you go back, you know, before the draft and you say, Hey, look, uh, you know, this is going to be the first domino to fall and it's going to lead directly to the second domino. I think Mark Cuban and company take that 10 times out of 10. And I think that we've all really forgotten how great of a player Porzingis can be. I think your point here is that Trey Young has been playing his butt off here for the last two, a month and a half or so. And he deserves respect and he deserves not to be, just be treated as a footnote in a trade or, or to be sort of like, oh, Atlanta screwed this thing up. And to me, it was never um, that one-sided of a deal, right? Like I liked it more from Dallas's perspective, but I totally saw where Atlanta was going with it as well, especially given that they needed as many assets as they could get. And, and that's what that second draft pick that you're mentioning and that's, that's going to transfer if it's not a, a top five pick, I think. Uh, that's what that's going to mean uh, to a team like the Atlanta Hawks. <clears throat> but from the Atlanta side of things, you can totally see how their vision of building a high-level offense around Trey Young with his shooting ability and his passing ability is coming to fruition. Uh, and you can also you know, know that if you're an Atlanta Hawks fan, you've got that extra pick coming. I believe it's top five protected. That's going to be very helpful uh, in, in this organic rebuilding effort. Uh, you've got the excitement factor back with Trey Young, no question about it. He's already one of the league's most entertaining players to watch. Um, I just think this is the kind of deal where it's really no losers. You know, I think it's a win-win. I would rather be on Dallas's side of it, especially with what that trade led to for them with the Porzingis deal. Uh, but I don't think there's any losers here. I think both uh, teams are going to go forward uh, better for having made that trade. It's an interesting one. Um, I heard a, a theory. This goes a little bit to Dallas. On player evaluation, uh, and I guess this goes to Dennis Smith, that you should know in 18 months on every one of your players and then decide. What do you think of that? 
Um, I think it depends on the age of the player because some of these guys are coming in uh, a lot more refined and, and frankly older than others. But uh, I think they did not pull the trigger too quickly on Dennis Smith Jr. I mean, to me, it was pretty obvious early in the season that he was uh, number one, you know, not that great. And then number two, not a very good fit with Luca. And so I like that they just kind of cut bait uh, rather than sort of dragging it out. I mean, I think you can make a really similar argument with how Moutier was handled in Denver in terms of the answer was kind of staring them in the face and they were waiting and hoping and giving him the opportunities. Uh, but I also think if you're going to have the ball in your hands in today's NBA, especially with the freedom of movement rules, you should be able to get numbers if you're going to be a big time player, right? Like I, I understand there's a lot of, you know, freak outs over some of Trey Young's statistical achievements and they're kind of comparing him to like, you know, previous rookies like an Allen Iverson or some of these other like hall of fame level guys. And let's remember, everybody's getting numbers uh, in the NBA right now. And so if you're not and you're not doing it efficiently, uh, that's a big red flag, even if you're a young player. Well, it's it's really interesting. So Donovan Mitchell's getting big numbers very inefficiently. Do you call that a red flag? No, I wouldn't. I do think that it was kind of a natural for him. I mean, his playoffs last year was so darn good, and it's just natural for fans and observers alike to say, hey, that's who this guy is going to be forever. And like, this is a flash and it's only going to get better from here. And that's not necessarily how development works. I, I still think he's had a, you know, a, a fine season. I mean, I, I think he could use a little bit more help around him in terms of you know, the offensive pieces of fitting better. But I do think he's shown that he's going to be, you know, a fringe all-star level player here for the, you know, the five or six years going forward. And he showed that, you know, straight out of the gate before he even debuted. I mean, we saw that, uh, in summer league, you know, promising signs, you know, right out of the gate there. So I don't, I mean, certainly he passes your 18 month test. There, there's really no question about it. And, uh, you know, contrasting like his first 18 months compared to what Dennis Smith Jr. was going through with the turnover problems, with the inefficiency, uh, with the lack of a real clear skill, uh, you know, really how is he contributing? I mean, to me, that's night and day. No, I agree. I actually think that the Donovan thinks really interesting because he is pretty inefficient. He has, he is being asked to carry a larger load than any second-year wing player since probably LeBron. Maybe, like, LeBron had Zadrunas Ilgaskas who could score a little. Like, who's the second scorer with Donovan Mitchell? Yeah, and that's what I go back to about the, the supporting structure around him as well. A fascinating example of this has actually been Brandon Ingram, and it, it's really rough that he got this blood clot because it's scary and throws his whole career kind of uh, into question, like, is his health going to be okay? But if you watch, like, the Lakers, I mean, Brandon Ingram has been in so many different situations, playing with LeBron, without LeBron, you know, playing in big lineups with centers, playing without centers. As soon as the Lakers went to a completely spread offense where, like, they're playing five out, essentially, and the ball is in Brandon Ingram's hand, it's like magic. All of a sudden, his inefficiency, you know, starts to go away. He's finishing better. He's getting to the foul line more. He's showing his length going to the basket. His shot selection numbers look a lot better. And, you know, that's just a fact of life for Donovan Mitchell, too. I guarantee you he would be a more efficient player if you surrounded him with, you know, three uh, high-quality shooters and you took the center out or, or your center could shoot threes, right? and he has just all day to work one-on-one, go to the basket and finish, all of his numbers are going to look better. So I think some of this stuff, especially with young guys, it's very context-dependent, and we've got to remember that when, when we're judging them. Uh, I guess my point with Smith was it, it almost didn't matter, the context. Like, he's not really contributing to winning. Uh, he's out there maybe – if he's getting numbers, he's doing so in an empty fashion, uh, and if he's not getting numbers, he's really accomplishing nothing. 
Yeah, no, I think there's – I bring it up because I do – I agree with kind of two things you said in there that I think are worth noting. Like the numbers are inflated today. Pace is up 10%. Uh, the no – the freedom movement, the no-touch rules are allowing ball handlers to score more. So you've got to be a little careful on, on some of the areas where you're comping these guys because I do think that's an issue. Was it you or was it a – was it on your open floor podcast? Sorry, I've listened to a bunch of stuff recently where you brought up the – conversation about LeBron not making the playoffs in his first time in the Western Conference? Well, yeah, we've been talking about that. I'm kind of running it into the ground, but it's pretty wild uh, when you're looking at he has, you know, it's going to be the first time in what, like 14 seasons, the first time in, in eight years, nine years that he won't be in the finals. And it's going to be a huge vacuum. I mean, it's going to be weird for him. Like, what does he do on a night-to-night basis, day-to-day basis? Like, is he going to just disappear off the face of the planet? Is he going to be showing up sitting courtside, like a almost like a living legend, like him and Bill Russell, or just going to be hanging out courtside? I mean, what does he do practically to get through that time period? Because you know it's going to be driving him crazy, not only to be missing out on the pursuit of a championship, but to be watching all these other players who I'm sure in his mind he feels you know getting a shot to do it when he doesn't have the shot. He goes and play. He goes to dinner with Leonardo DiCaprio and Al Pacino. And- <laughs> I mean, it's clear other interest, but I'll tell you, this guy has been driven to win titles really hard for a long time. And I think you know the Lakers collapse snuck up on him too, right? I mean, he was the first guy to play off switch. Let's activate it. And what do you know? The Lakers just combust. And you know, it's hard to you know get inside of a guy's head just listening to him talk and. and post game and shock on his face and stunned comments you know sort of coming out of his mouth where this is all happening very very quickly I mean and I don't know if he saw that coming I certainly don't think the franchise saw it coming and you know it's going to take them a while you know him individually but also the organization to kind of pick up the pieces but from the league standpoint you know the TV ratings no question are going to be taking a hit without LeBron James he drove every single major storyline in the Eastern Conference uh, last year, I mean, the the, the Titanic battle with Boston, uh, you know, kind of punking Toronto, uh, the amazing game winners, triple doubles against Indiana in the first round. It was all constructed around LeBron. So you have the opportunity for guys like Kyrie Irving, Kawhi Leonard, you know, Giannis to step up and fill some of that void. Those guys are just much smaller stars than LeBron, especially towards, you know, casual fans. And the league is going to be taking a hit because of that. Uh, I also think the matchup of LeBron versus the Warriors, you know, the, the Supers team, has really getting sick of it because they were running it into the ground. But if I'm Adam Silver and I'm focused on the overall health and benefit of the league, like I would take that again four or five more times in the playoffs, you know, however many times you can milk it. And you can tell the NBA does that because you just look at their Christmas schedule and their Martin Luther King Day schedule. Every year it's LeBron versus the Warriors, right? So um, I think that we all – are going to be in a little bit of an adjustment period ourselves in terms of what's the playoffs really going to look and feel like without LeBron. It's going to feel different. My fear is it's going to feel less important and less weighty. And I hope these uh, younger stars can prove me wrong. It's a good point. Ben Golliver with us from the Washington Post here on Locked on NBA. Uh, An interesting thought about LeBron and whether we're actually seeing the decline next when we continue. Make sure you catch Locked on Fantasy Basketball every day. Josh Lloyd does a great job with that show as well. Just tell your smart device to play podcast Locked on Fantasy Basketball. If you recall, Cleveland finished the year in the second half of last year, 500 for about the last 50 games, right? And I mean, that was a a chronic problem for them, right? Maintaining intensity. Right. 
but that means that LeBron has actually been 500 over his last 82 games plus on the floor. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very different uh, circumstances and, and sets of teammates, no question, but the dominance really hasn't been there since Christmas, you know, and I think that's going to be you know, the, the real question when we come back for training camp, when we're writing those preseason stories about the Lakers next year, it's was LeBron the real LeBron after the injury or was he being held back? Because whether it's turning the corner, whether it's finishing through traffic above the rim, uh, whether it's having that, you know, total command of the offense and just, you know, everything's operating at his fingertips. All of the things that we associate with LeBron, you know, being this quote unquote, you know, best player in basketball have not been the same here over the last couple of months, just point blank period. They haven't been. And, you know, I've ranked the top 100 NBA players, I think for the last six or seven, maybe eight years, LeBron's been number one every single year I've done it. And I hate to spoil it and give away the headline. He's not going to be number one, you know, headed into next year. And I think it's a real question in terms of how far does he fall if you're putting these guys in a vacuum over an 82-game season, like you're describing, you know this this 500 output for LeBron, would you rather have him or Steph Curry? Would you rather have him or Kevin Durant? Would you rather have him or Giannis? Would you rather have him uh, or James Harden? I think you can make pretty strong arguments for all of those other guys. And so now we're looking at a scenario where LeBron's not just falling from sort of the throne of being the number one guy. He's really in a situation where he's almost battling for a top-five spot And even people who thought, hey, look, LeBron's going to L.A. to pursue the business, to try to become a billionaire, to eventually set himself up to be an NBA owner. You know, people who were looking at his decision last summer with a skeptical or kind of a cynical uh, viewpoint, I think that would, you know, the the level of fall off from LeBron here over the last nine months, but especially the last three months, has been uh, pretty staggering. I mean, game one of the 2018 NBA Finals, isn't that long ago. I mean, that was an incredible tour de force performance by LeBron, and we just haven't seen anything approaching that. Even in some uh, must-win games here over the last couple of weeks, he just hasn't been able to crank it up to that level. Ben, I read, you did the piece on Milwaukee and, and spent some time with Giannis. I get your newsletter every Monday as well. I, I got to tell you, I love them. I think they're great. I'm all in. I start doing the numbers stuff on them, number one or two offense, number two or three defense, amount of teams that have ever done that. And then I stop and just can't value anything that's coming out of the Eastern Conference, honestly. (laughs) No, I mean, I really, like, there's eight bad teams in the Eastern Conference. There's one bad team in the West. Like, I heard your whole conversation with Andrew about second-best team in the league. Houston's the second-best team in the league. And Denver or Portland is probably the third. Like, if Milwaukee was playing in the West, they wouldn't be anywhere near what they are right now. Uh, I agree with you. It's like a funhouse mirror, you know, the, the conference divide. I don't think we should take anything away from Milwaukee, though, because, number one, they've been consistent. They've been playing hard all season long. They're doing it the right way, and they're about the right stuff. You know, it's no look at me. It's no chest pounding. It's just go out there and beat the brakes off the opponent, you know, three nights out of four, and maybe even a, a higher percentage than that. Uh, to me, we really see the conference disparity, you know, after the, the fifth seed, right? I mean, you're looking at the six, seven, and eight of the Eastern Conference who are just going to basically be backing their way into the playoffs, whereas I would take, uh, you know, the 9, 10, and 11 from the Western Conference over those three teams, uh, no question about it. And I also think there is totally a false narrative, this idea that, like, the four biggest threats or four of the biggest threats are the top four teams in the Eastern Conference uh, when you're looking at, like, who does Golden State not want to face. And I, I think that couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, to me, Houston and Oklahoma City, 
um, are probably scarier to Golden State than any team in the Eastern Conference. And they're also more experienced, and they've been through more playoff battles than the cores of those you know, major teams in the Eastern Conference. It's just so hard for me to picture uh, a team like Toronto that you know, doesn't even have its full lineup out there every single night because Kawhi is just you know, taking vacations basically every single week, really being able to ramp up in a finals format under the glare and the intensity and the pressure of that moment and really scare Golden State. I just can't picture that happening. Same deal with Philadelphia and Ben Simmons. I mean, he was not ready for prime time in the second round against an injury-depleted Boston Celtics team. How is that team really going to be a serious threat to Golden State? I don't see it. Now, Giannis, to me, though, uh, he is a little bit different. He stands out from this Eastern Conference narrative because this guy can play anywhere, anytime. He's a matchup nightmare for everybody. But if you're saying, look, who's going to have a better final series, two-time reigning finals MVP Kevin Durant or Giannis, I'm going to be taking Kevin Durant and feeling very, very comfortable about it. So again, I don't want to take, I don't want to slight, uh, you know, Milwaukee's achievements because especially when you look at where they, where they were 12 months ago or heck where they've been for the last 30 years as a franchise. I mean, this is their moment in the sun. I think they deserve the credit, but I do think it's important to say, look, the Western conference is where all the best basketball is being played, where if any of these teams wind up going out in the first round, there will be major changes because that's the level of competition. You can't just go out quietly in the first round and expect to run things back. That's just not really how it works. And especially for some of these teams, whether it's Oklahoma City, uh, Houston, I mean, they've got a lot riding uh, on these current core groups and, and making sure they make the Western Conference Finals this season. If one of those two teams was to fall out earlier, uh, I think you're looking at you know potentially major shakeups there too. And uh, I left out Golden State, but look, I mean, all the rumors surrounding them only get magnified that much more if they are somehow to get knocked off before they get to the finals. I don't really see that happening, but I think you'd see major shakeups. Uh, all this chemistry concerns and, and that kind of conversation uh, would lead ownership to go a totally different direction if they wind up not even making the finals. Let me make one final comment on that, and then I have a final question for you. Th- th- this is my point, and maybe I have a different perspective because um, – as someone who travels with an NBA team and goes through the grind of an NBA season, if you're an Eastern Conference team, you play 32 games against inferior opponents, and if you're the if you're a Western Conference team, you play 20. That is such a huge difference in what the burden of the schedule is during a season. I cannot explain that to people enough. In 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 for no, most I, national, I agree with you 100. percent Yeah, most national reporters, you're all are only covering the important games. So you don't see the night off against the then terrible Chicago Bulls or, you know, things of that nature. Let, let me ask you this final question. Um, I, uh, our internet's not been great, so people know this. So I haven't looked it up exactly, but I looked it up a few days ago. So the Warriors are negative when DeMarcus Cousins is on the floor with, like, All-Stars. It's incredible. Like, I mean, this is a lineup that's plus like 16 and 15 and 14 for the last few years. The idea that's negative. What do they do about this? Uh, I think they just scale his minutes down slightly. I don't think he's going to be playing in the crucial moments. I think they're going to be trusting the lineup that has basically smoked everybody constantly in the last couple of playoffs, and that's the death lineup. You know, I think if we're really going to be focusing on the Warriors lineup data, it's like how little do they actually play their best group to me is the biggest story. Um, because I think that to a certain degree they're sandbagging by which which lineups they play, and then I also think that they're just not trying very hard, and the night-to-night consistency effort uh, is just you know not there for them. 
Going back real quick to your point, if the, the 12 extra easy games that the Eastern Conference teams get, that stands out from a numbers perspective. But, you know, just for a percentage of the season, you're getting like an extra, basically a sixth of the season is just like complete cupcakes. Uh, but it matters on everything, whether it's like the difficulty of back-to-backs or three games in four nights. I mean, when you're just able to kind of sprinkle in those easier uh, games and you're not dealing with the landmines of playing against a team like Sacramento, who you know is going to come at you, uh, or even teams like, you know, Dallas, uh, who, who's been fr- uh, frisky this year, and the teams that we tend to think, okay, they're um, outside of the playoff picture. It's it's a much more difficult schedule in the Western Conference, and that's before you even ta- uh, put on uh, the, the travel mileage issue, which, you know, teams in the Western Conference uh, face more than teams in the Eastern Conference. So, I do think that the conversation you're trying to start here, which is like the imbalance issue, it's not just the playoff format of rewarding the top 16 best teams. It's probably about getting the overall schedule to a more balanced situation where the 82 games um, are spread out across you know all of your opponents rather than you know weighted so heavily towards your conference opponents. In our next conversation, I think we might have done it once before, but we'll do it again. I'll fix the NBA with my new scheduling system. How's that? <laughs> I'm ready for it. Ben, always keep up the great work at the Washington Post. What should people look out for? Um, you know, just constant stuff in the newsletter you mentioned. You can subscribe. It's called the NBA Post Up. You can check that out on my Twitter feed, at Ben Golliver. Uh, you know, we're doing two open floors a week in, all, in the run-up to the playoffs, so everybody can check that out on Apple Podcasts. Um, you know, that's pretty much it. You know, WashingtonPost.com slash sports. We appreciate everybody who's reading. Thank you much. Appreciate it. Ben Golliver. Locked on NBA, Anthony and Adam will be with you tomorrow. Go check out Locked on Fantasy Basketball right now or your favorite team's Locked on Podcast.